0: Listeners, I've got a very, very special interview, author interview for you today. And that's with Brad Meltzer, who you're familiar with. We did the I Am books that he introduced to us that he does. Uh, Remember, one was about Walt Disney and the other about Marie Curie. And he's also done The Conspiracy to Kill George Washington, which is one of those real gems of history that he had uncovered. And he's got another gem of history he's uncovered here with The Lincoln Conspiracy. And that book comes out, I believe it's May 5th. And So we wanted to say hello, Brad Meltzer. It's great to have you with us.
1: Uh it's so great to be back. And and I know we've talked about uh, some of the kids' books, but now we have to talk about the adult nonfiction and the real history. Um, and I just really appreciate you supporting history in, in all its forms.
0: Uh, we we enjoy doing it. And that's one of the reasons that, that I do podcast. Yeah, I know it's one of the reasons you write an author, of the great books that you do, it's given people a real education and the backstory, especially in this case of what really happened. You've got an incredible, dramatic story here of how the Pinkerton Detective Agency uh, stepped in and saved Lincoln's life. What a story! And I'm, I'm hoping you can give our listeners a taste of it. How did you discover it? How did you find this story?
1: I. Found it when we were working, I believe, on uh, our History Channel TV show on Decoded. We were doing a, uh, an episode on the Lincoln conspiracy. And I think that was where it kind of first came on my radar, but it's a story you never forget once you hear it, right? Because we all know that in 1865, Abraham Lincoln is shot by John Wilkes Booth, and it's you know, the most famous assassination, arguably, until JFK. But what we don't know, and most of us don't know, is that at the start of his presidency, just as he was elected, Abraham Lincoln was going from his home in Springfield, Illinois, to be sworn in as the 16th president in Washington, D.C. And on his way to the inauguration, uh, they were going to make trips through Philadelphia and some major cities, shake hands along the way. There were no cars back then. You either traveled there by horse to go from Illinois to Washington or, of course, you took the train. And that was what Abraham Lincoln was doing with his family and with uh, and, and his staff. And what no one knew was that there was a secret society plotting to kill him. Because what happened was, to get from Illinois to Washington, he got to go through Baltimore. However you take the train, the train transfers through Baltimore. And Baltimore at the time was a slave state. They hated Abraham Lincoln there. And this secret society, an offshoot of the Knights of the Golden Circle, was plotting to murder Abraham Lincoln when he came through Baltimore. And as you said, the Pinkerton detectives, Alan Pinkerton his detective agency, uh, got involved. He brought in Kate Warren, America's first female private eye, in all of history, and she gets involved. And the rest of the Pinkertons infiltrate these incredible, this incredible secret society, and save the day. And I won't ruin exactly how, but it's on a speeding train in the middle of the night. Everyone in disguise, and they save Abraham Lincoln's life. And that is the story of the Lincoln conspiracy. What we obviously do is show you how it all happened and almost happened. Um, right down to how Abraham Lincoln almost died at before he was even sworn in
0: you 've really done a nice job developing lincoln 's character and and bringing up some of the points that maybe history hasn 't taught us about his youth and how he educated himself i 'm thinking of his famous speech he gave at Gettysburg when he told the crowd that that no one would remember what he said that day. Was he right or wrong
1: with regard to that? Yeah, it's one of the endings that we put in the book, as you saw that line. It's, you know, I remember writing when we wrote that line, uh, is that you know he truly says, no one's going to remember what I say now. Of course we remember what he said, because his speech was, I believe, 281 words, something like that, 280-something words. Uh, but the most important were the five words at the end. All men are created equal. And we don't just remember it because it's on the Lincoln Memorial. We remember it because it's what America stands for. It's what we've come to stand for. It's what we need to stand for. And I think, you know, what you see, and you hit it right at the beginning of that question, it's very easy to tell a titillating story to say, Abraham Lincoln almost died, and here's the guys who tried to kill him. And here are the secret detective agency that jumped in, and here's the group that was, you know, how close they got. But what was very important to Josh mentioned I who helped work on this book with me, my co-writer here, was that we really made you learn and know Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. If you don't care and learn and because Abraham Lincoln and the same thing when we did the secret plot to kill George Washington, Abraham Lincoln and George Washington are arguably the two most famous Americans who ever lived, but oddly we we somehow don't know that much about them as people. We know they're on the one dollar bill and the five dollar bill. we know their statues and their monuments, we know all those things, but it was important to me it, it's those little details. so when Abraham Lincoln in eighteen sixty is is waiting for the results. And he's waiting to see, did I win the presidency? Did I lose the presidency? He's playing what's basically a game of handball behind his building. (laughs) It's the most human thing of all, right? Abraham Lincoln just playing handball because he's good at it, because he's just a big guy with big hands. And that's what he's doing when they're like, "Uh, sir, you're going to be the president. And I love those details. I love the detail that before he leaves, when he goes back to Herndon to his law partner to say a final goodbye, And what he says to this partner who he's worked with for so many years before he leaves for the presidency, the one thing he wants to tell him before he leaves. And I love that moment where before he leaves to go to Washington, he takes a trip home to basically see his stepmom, who he loved, adored. And his stepmom says to herself that when he leaves, I know I'm never going to see him again. She she has that premonition that he's going to die. She fears that he's going to die. And she's absolutely right. And, you know, even down to the details of of Lincoln's son who loses and leaves the the inaugural address because he's in charge of carrying it and how it gets lost. Uh, Those are the things that make us who we are. You know, if you woke up an an average American today and you said in the middle of the night, I woke you up and said in the middle of the night, anyone pick anyone American. So what did Lincoln do? You'd wake up and go free the slaves, free the slaves. You'd say that you just Mm blurted out. Yeah. And we all know that. But, you know, your accomplishments are not who you are. It's the details of your life. It's what you do with it. It's the, how you talk to people and how you interact with people. And those things you love to do, whether it's play handball or go and say thank you to the woman who took a chance on you all those years ago and was kind to you. Um, that really show you the measure of someone's character. And it was very important uh, that, that we really get to see that in Abraham Lincoln when you read The Lincoln Conspiracy.
0: Yeah. Um, one of the things I like about your writing Yours and, and Josh's writing is that a lot of the scenes, like that, like that scene where he's playing handball when he finds out he's going to be president. You write as if it's a, almost as if it's a script for a movie, and you help me to visualize uh, these great gems, these great true moments in people's life, and that's what makes your books different. I really do enjoy the way you present history. I try to do that with audio in the course of my podcast, and I look up to. Uh, the achievements that you've had in terms of your books, I find them just great reads for that reason. Just wanted to compliment you on that
1: No John, I appreciate it. listen you know what we both do in in different forms and in different mediums obviously is um, we're telling a story yeah you got to tell a good story you know I could just say here's how he almost died, here's a train he was on, here's the time he left the station here's how they got him here you know and all you have is an encyclopedia entry. that's all you yep. get but if I tell you, And the guy who wants to kill him, when we first find him, here he is on a dark night in a fancy hotel in the basement of the building where he is Baltimore's most famous barber, cutting hair, talking to wealthy people, and whispering the greatest secrets in their ears. Now you're listening. This is the man who tries to kill Abraham Lincoln. And to me, those are the best parts, right, is when you get to those details where you feel like you're watching that suspenseful movie, where you feel like you're there, because you know, I think all of us were just filled with the cliches of history. You know, Abraham Lincoln's like somehow sitting in a log cabin reading by candlelight. And yes, th- those moments happen, but so did moments of him playing handball and so did moments of him, you know, worrying and stressing. And, and one of the things we were, you know, very important to us as Josh and I looked at this and full credit to Josh, because he was the first one who kind of, as we talked about it, was. We're catching Lincoln and Lincoln conspiracy. At a time where the Civil War, I mean, he's he's elected three days after his election. South Carolina passes their first resolution that they intend to secede from the Union. Three days they give him. Three. That's it. It was fascinating to me that in the South, no one voted for Abraham Lincoln. Not just because they hated him, but they hated him so much they didn't put him on the ballot. No one in the South voted for him because they didn't put him on the ballot. They just were like, this guy's terrible. We're not even going to put him on there. There was no way to in, in some states. And... It's a time where America was so deeply divided. Whatever side you were on, you hated the other side. You thought they were terrible, horrible people. John, does that sound familiar to you? <laughs> because it's, right, it's exactly where we are now as a culture.
0: No, exactly And right. so it was
1: very important to us as we painted this picture that it wasn't just here are the facts of the murder plot to kill Abraham Lincoln, but the Lincoln Conspiracy as a book would also be about how and where we are now and how do we get out of where we are now.
0: I would like you to tell, I, I don't think we'd be giving up the plot, if you could tell us the story of Kate Warren. Yeah, absolutely. I, Let's talk about
1: wherever you want to go. So Kate Warren is this young woman, and the Pinkerton Detective Agency, you know, Pink, Alan Pinkerton is this kind of enigmatic, famous figure through history, um, you know, lives in Chicago for, and, and in the corruption of Chicago, builds this private detective agency. Of course, Chicago famously corrupt. And hires, you know, starts, starts himself kind of solving his own little crimes, just like Murder, She Wrote, you know, like in his own little hometown, he's, uh, you know, helps the police with one case, they hire him for another, and slowly he starts hiring other detectives, always men. And one day, a woman comes into his detective agency, um, which again, at the time, never, ever happened. Unheard (laughs) of. Uh, The gall of a woman coming in just would never, ever happen. And in walks uh, a woman named Kate Warren. And Kate Warren, you know, I, I actually knew her because we're we're actually doing a story on her in in one of our in our in one of our kids books because oh, I just think okay. she's that incredible and I think she you know is is amazing. But what I love about her story is she basically comes in and sits down and is like, you know, I'm ready to go. I think you need to hire me. And it's a time when nobody is hiring women. And he kind of takes her, he looks at her and tries to kind of figure her out and sees that she's kind of friendly and whatever. But what he also sees is that she's really likable and she's, she makes you trust her. And then in that moment, Alan Pinkerton, whether it's because he's you know pushed forward on the gender issue or just because he's selfish and says, I'm going to be able to get a good case solved out of it realizes, you know what? There are a lot of people who are going to want to talk to this woman. They're going to want to spill their guts to this woman.
0: Mm-hmm. And that they would never talk really, the same way to a man.
1: Never. That, no man would ever get no one. Would, it would never happen. And that was her but selling point and he woman. bought
0: it and he was right.
1: <laughs> and, and that's the thing is he t- takes a chance and he's absolutely right. And that to me is, is one of the great moments that gets lost to history is, you know, it's not because he's like, Oh, we got to hire a woman or, Oh, I got to feel this way or that way. Um, you know, it's this newly hired detective to investigate the case. And she winds up going in and talking to women on the case, talking to men on the case, talking to people who are on the inside. And soon after he hires her, he hires another woman who comes on. Some say she's the first mixed race private detective. Actually, no one can really prove whether what her race was. But he then hires another female detective because he realizes, wait a minute, this is actually going to work. Uh, and, and what I love about her is just that she's this kind of unknown footnote of history But as you see, without ruining the ending, she's absolutely responsible for saving Abraham Lincoln's life. She's one. I mean, one of my favorite scenes in the whole book without ruining it is that moment where Kate Warren has to go to Abraham Lincoln's room and talk about what, you know, and, and, you know, present these ideas and talk about these ideas of what's about to happen. And the code name they give him and all the stuff that happens when they're going to hide Abraham Lincoln is just
0: priceless. Can we talk about the plot?
1: Yeah. Let's talk about the plot. Okay. So one of my favorite parts of the book, of course, is when you get to pull apart the actual plot. And there's this wonderful moment that, you know, historians will tell you it's only been verified by Alan Pinkerton. So I always put that caveat in there because, you know, everything in the book, you'll see 50 pages of footnotes when you read the Lincoln's <laughs> yes. Um We try to, and we love to document things from both sides. So, you know, it's not just one person exaggerating. We make sure, you know, the only thing is this one moment, but it's one of my favorite in the whole book, so we have to talk about it. <laughs> is this this kind of candlelight meeting in the secret society? And I can see you on video right now, so I can see you smiling the same way that I'm smiling because this was just such one of the craziest scenes in the Lincoln like, Conspiracy. And in the middle, what what happens is is uh, there's a secret. I mean, I guess you just have to say there there's there's just a secret meeting, literally like like right out of the Simpsons or the Freemasons or the you know like and. What happens is, uh, you know, they have secret passwords and secret code names, but on this night, what they're doing is they're drawing lots. And the lots that they're going to draw is for, if you draw the shortest straw, to kind of simplify what happens in that moment, the one who draws the shortest straw is going to be the one who pulls the trigger and kills Abraham Lincoln. And the reason that they're drawing straws. It's because if, John, you and I are in there and I know that it's you, oh, John, you know, John's the one who's going to do it. If I get arrested, then I can rat it all out and ruin the whole plan. So it's all done randomly. No one knows who's going to draw the shortest straw. No one knows who drew it. No one knows who the killer is. You keep it to yourself and you all leave there solemnly. And one of the great parts of the book to me and the plot to kill Abraham Lincoln is that moment where you find out in the Lincoln conspiracy. That it wasn't just there wasn't just one short straw, and I won't ruin the ending, but there's more than one, and that means there's more than one killer gunning for Abraham Lincoln that night. And I love that plot. And so the plot is very simple. When Abraham Lincoln comes down, um, he's coming from Philadelphia. He's coming to Baltimore. He's going to change trains in Baltimore. There's all the different railroads back then. It wasn't just like you know one railroad. So you would land in one station in Baltimore, and you'd have to literally walk half a mile or walk a mile to another station. It would take you north or south, depending on where else you wanted to go. And to get to Washington, D.C., you had to change stations. There just was no way around it. And he
0: required a police escort.
1: And he had a police escort. And worse than anything, they published all of his, you know, just like they do today, but, you know, back then a kind of bigger deal because there was no Secret Service protecting him. Um, They published all of the times and changes of his trains and when he was going to move and who he was going to move with and where he was going to be. Everyone knew. So there's no Secret Service that exists. He does have a police escort, so there's obviously attention around him. He's also the biggest guy in the room. You can't miss him. He's gigantic. Um, but there isn't Secret Service doing casing early in the, you know, and making sure who's there and no metal detectors to keep people out. You know, there's, just, there's no way to stop it. And the plan is when Abraham Lincoln comes to town and he walks from one train station to the other or he drives, whichever way he goes, that in that passing, they're going to murder him. They're going to shoot him. Pull the gun. The one who draw, draws a short store is going to drop him dead right there. And that's the plan. And one of my favorite moments in the whole book is uh, Alan Pinkerton tells Abraham Lincoln, uh, has to finally tell him, uh, I should say it's Alan Pinkerton who tells him what the plan is, and says, listen, they're coming to kill you. Here's what they're going to do. It. Here's what's going to happen. You, you know, I know you're in Philadelphia tomorrow, but we you need to skip the trip to Philadelphia. And instead, you've got to come with us, and we're going to take you to safety. We're going to get you out of here early, and you'll get there early in the middle of the night. And that's what Lincoln should do. He should just get out of there, skip the trip in Philly, and it doesn't matter, and save your life. And Lincoln, in one of these great, again, little moments, says, I'm not missing my event in Philadelphia. And Alan Pinkerton says, what are you talking about? What's in Philadelphia? And what Abraham Lincoln is planning to do in Philadelphia is he's going to Independence Hall to where the Constitution was signed because he is going to honor his hero on the birthday of George Washington. George Washington is one of Abraham Lincoln's heroes, and he wants to honor his birthday. And so come hell or high water, he says, I'm going to Philadelphia. And one of my favorite moments is when he gets to Philadelphia, we now know, and Abraham Lincoln knows, there's a plot to kill him. And when he gives his speech there, we found the contents of the speech. We're like, let's look at the speech, see if there's anything interesting in it. And when you look at the contents of the speech, as it says in the book, and I'm going to paraphrase here because my words will never be as good as Abraham Lincoln's verbatim, but he says to him, uh, Abraham Lincoln says to the crowd that we must stand together, we must be united, um, and I'd rather be assassinated if we weren't. Yeah, that was an amazing It seems like just a way to, you know, it's just an incredible line that when you read the Lincoln conspiracy just takes on a whole new meaning because Abraham Lincoln knows that there actually is a plot to kill him at that exact moment. I won't tell you what happens from there, but needless to say, that's where the chase begins as they finally sneak him away from his big event in Philadelphia and try to get him to Washington DC in the in the middle of the night.
0: What lasting impression did Abraham Lincoln give you personally after doing all this research and really getting to know him? We'll return to Brad Meltzer and the Lincoln Conspiracy right after this message from our sponsors. And now, back to our show.
1: You know, um I'll tell you what, I think that what struck me about Abraham Lincoln and why I think he's the most amazing president we've had, and I love George Washington, you know my love of George Washington, but I think, you know, George Washington was fighting for this country and and certainly fighting for what we wanted to be a country, fighting for our troops and ourselves and our our nation. Um, Abraham Lincoln is fighting for a different kind of right. It's a moral right. It's a right for other people that truthfully, Abraham Lincoln's life will go on just fine. Whether slavery is finished or not, he's going to be fine. Um, and it's to me, the far greater measure of a person who when they're at the top of the ladder, and they could have everything and they're flying high, will still look back down and and give a hand and put a hand out to help other people get up. That's the measure of, of, of true success. And what struck me about Abraham Lincoln, and I think the reason it's possible, you know, he doesn't I thought in my head, when before we started the book, that Abraham Lincoln was just the best president. Of course, he's the best president, and for all the reasons we all think. But his decision to issue the Emancipation Proclamation, his decision to decide that slavery was not going to stand in that way, is not fully formed in his head when he's elected, by any stretch.
0: Yeah, it, was, it was still a long not, process ahead.
1: Is that was a massive, tough political you know, decision. He gets elected and the slaves come free, and there we go. And it isn't simple, like it, you know, some third-grade children's book, but it's not. And he he, it's a real progression. And it's a progression that's built from when he's little. He remembers seeing slaves when he's you know, people who were enslaved when he's younger. And he he says he never forgot seeing them in chains. He never shook it. Um it always got to him. It always shook him. And what I think has really struck me about him is the reason that I you know it takes people like Frederick Douglass to push him along. It takes obviously circumstances to push him along, a lot of great thinkers to like Frederick Douglass and others to push him along. But I believe that the reason that Abraham Lincoln also uh, is able to pull it off is because he's from two worlds. He lives in two worlds. He is the president. He's the most powerful man in the world. But he's also from nothing. And the fact that he saw both of those universes and lived both of those universes, I felt like that is, is uh, it, it struck me. And, and what's really wild, and we made a conscious effort to put this in, in the pages of the Lincoln Conspiracy, is you see Abraham Lincoln when he's younger and you see um, that when it came to, you know, he'd be riding along and he'd see the baby bird fell out of a tree and everyone would be riding on their horses and he would stop and be like, I got to save the bird. And his friends are like making fun of him, like, come on, we got to go. You're stopping to save a bird. And he's like, listen, if I don't save this bird, I'm going to be thinking about it all night. And man, does it, I don't care whether you're 10 years old or you're 50 years old, sometimes it's hard to do the right thing, but someone has to. And Abraham Lincoln over and over in his life, you see it from when he's a child um, to just dealing with regular people to, of course, dealing with, you know, the entire nation is just determined to do the right thing when no one else will. And that is what really struck me. That depth of character is what struck me.
0: Yeah. And and about that character, he had an amazing sense of humility. Um, There was a situation, I think, where he was speaking from the back of a train and uh, there was a huge crowd that had gathered, as there always was. Uh, apparently, wherever he went, a lot of people really loved him. And uh, oh, I—I I, again, I'm going to have to paraphrase. He said, "Well, this is the first time we're getting to actually look at each other, and it and it seems that I I have the advantage here." <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. He realized that he was uh, that a lot of people considered him tall and gangly and not necessarily handsome, and he was very and humble one, well, one, about and that. And
1: uses that to his advantage. You know, one of the things right after he gets elected is all these um you know, big hotshot politicians want to come see him because it's not like today. There's no TV. So most people don't even know what he looks like. You know, they've seen, uh, you know, there's photographs when he wins start to go out. But, it, you know, it's, yeah, there are plenty of people who have just never met him face to face and want to take his measure. And the truth is, they're like, he's some local yokel from Illinois, he's some, you know, dumb hick. He can't be anything like I can't believe we got this guy. And we didn't get Seward. Like, why do we, you know, we got to slick politician from new york who's done this his whole life and you're telling me we like this nobody from illinois got no national experience what are we doing and they all go to his house and it's one of again it's beautiful scene and abraham lincoln walks in he's bigger and physically bigger than everyone else and he always goes up to the biggest person in the room and kind of like makes fun of his own height and he just immediately shows humility to say like you know I, you know, I, 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 I don't like looking down on anyone, but I can't help it. That's how they grew me, you know, and makes a you know, a silly, awful dad joke, but it just loosens the whole room and everyone warms up and they realize this guy, doesn't think he's the best, this guy, you know, and looking are where we are now as a culture. Remember when humility was a great American value. We've lost that. We've lost it as a culture. We need to get it back again. So, you know, I think it's a vital part of, of Abraham Lincoln is to remind us of that humility.
0: What do you think would have happened had the plot succeeded?
1: Yeah, we ask that question ourselves out loud in the book. That's how the book ends. So, you know, And you'll see, of course, all of our ideas. But, you know, do I think that the Civil War, uh, that's, you know, if, if Abraham Lincoln is assassinated just before the Civil War begins as it's breaking out, do I feel like someone else might have stepped in to do the Emancipation Proclamation or won the war or held us together I think they would have, you know, done things as beautifully and eloquently and come out as well. Maybe, maybe not, right? It just as easily could go the other way, you you know, and again, especially when you're in a hard position, you have to make a decision that's against your self-interest and for the self-interest of people you don't know who are a different color than you, but I think someone else steps up. You know, the person after Lincoln certainly didn't, you know, we have, uh, and we've seen it plenty of times before uh i I just think that all of history potentially is different if Abraham Lincoln dies in this plot. If the Lincoln conspiracy is pulled off, I fear that all of history potentially changes in that moment. We've talked about this before, but we're a country founded on legends and myths and the legends and myths we love most are our own and Abraham Lincoln is not just you know a Playing the role of the guy who frees the slaves and the 16th president, and you could put in anyone into that, and as long as he does the same thing, history stays the same. It's not like that. Um, the legends and myths of Abraham Lincoln himself, of the self-made man, of the person who teaches himself how to read, of the person who will, you know, walk miles in the rain just to get a book, and who will read Aesop's fables and George Washington books. Those stories of the rails are littered. part of. Yeah, the rail splitter himself, right? The man who, with his bare hand splits the rails. No one cut down anything like this man. Those stories are America. His story is the American story. And so without him, it's not just you slot in Seward and pray for the best. You, you have a completely different history and a completely different America because you, you lose a hero. And, and as you can tell in the years that come after it, tell me who's next. You gotta give you Washington. I'll give you Lincoln. Tell me who else? Who's in that echelon? And I know people who love JFK because he was killed when they were young, and they you know he was their president. And people who love you know whoever it is you love on your particular side. But no one's in the echelon of those two, you know.
0: No, I think you're right. I think North they. Virginia, I think they deserve to be Trump's on the. Fans. I think they deserve to be on the one in the five dollar bill. No doubt about it. Th- those are the uh, those are
1: the those are the best we got. And I, listen, I love Teddy Roosevelt. to have you know like. There are great presidents out there, but no one is in that echelon that those two are. And and I think if we lose them, uh, we lose a great deal of our history and our psyche.
0: I think you're exactly right. Well, I think you've done a wonderful job with this book. I don't think we've given up anything up. I think people are going to want to read this to find out just exactly how they discovered that plot and how it was foiled. And especially the stories of Kate Warren and the other female detective who joined that team and were integral parts of saving Lincoln's hide.
1: Yeah, I think the the fun part of the book to me is when you get to see the bad guys, is when you get to see those bad guys and what they're planning and what they're doing and how genius they are and how stupid they are Um, and how all of history, you know, when, when we did the plot to kill George Washington, the whole plot gets foiled by a guy who whispers something in a jail cell. And I love how similarly here, the plot doesn't get foiled by, you know, just great detective work or this, you know, that's certainly a part of it, but it gets foiled by really at the end of the day, just an ordinary person opening up his big mouth to someone he shouldn't. And all of history shifts in that moment. And I love that that's how history is made. It's not just made by the big famous people on the one and the five, but it's made by every single one of us every single day, depending on the choices we make. And I love when you get to see that moment of how the bad guys get caught. And I love when at the end, you see what what happened to them when Abraham Lincoln, the train comes to town and Abraham Lincoln's not on it. And they're like, what? And and what come? I won't ruin this part. But like all that stuff is so exciting and so fun. And that's where the Lincoln conspiracy to me really comes to life.
0: Brad Meltzer and Josh Minch, you guys have done a fantastic job with this story. It was wonderful research. It's a real gem of a story. Uh, I absolutely loved it. I recommend it very much for our listeners here at 1001 Heroes, The Lincoln Conspiracy. It comes out May 5th, which is just about the time this this podcast interview will come out as well. I wanted to thank you so much for this. Also ask you, uh, what do you have in the plans?
1: So I am working on, as you know, I do uh, a line of kids' books. So we just came out with I Am Leonardo da Vinci. We've done I Am Abraham Lincoln. I Am Rosa Parks. I Am Albert Einstein. I Am Amelia Earhart, trying to give kids better heroes to look up to. We do these illustrated kids' biography series. So I Am Leonardo da Vinci just came out, and then um, my love of the era is, never ends. Uh, after that, we're doing upcoming I Am Benjamin Franklin, oh. uh, another founding father. <laughs> that'll to keep you long, busy. Uh, that'll keep me busy. Go along with our I Am George Washington book, and we're doing Anne Frank as well. And uh, other than that, after The Lincoln Conspiracy, I'm working on my new thriller, which is a sequel to a a mystery novel that I wrote called The Escape Artist that I loved working on. And uh, Ah. it has a lot of really great historical research. So the sequel to The Escape Artist is what comes up next.
0: I hope you all do go out and get a copy of The Lincoln Conspiracy from your favorite bookseller, and you will, will not be disappointed, I promise you. And, Brad, it's always a thrill being able to talk to you about what you've got going on and about these tremendous uh, insights into history that you give us. Thank you so much for what you do. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you, John. Thanks to everyone listening. Thanks to everyone who's buying The link Conspiracy out now.